Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to move to a time of Bible reading now as well. So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. It will be on the screen as well. Uh, just uh, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to get it up on my phone if I, that's all right. 1 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship this man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And as one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So, when you are assembled... And I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Thanks, Rosie. We will be looking at that whole chapter. In all of chapter 5, you can tell, I think, maybe uh, that we're into a new series. So we're going to spend the whole term 2 pretty much looking at the next section of 1 Corinthians. And you might have got a sense there. There's some stuff going on. So let's pray and then we'll dig into this passage together. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege now to look at your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would change us and comfort us and help us. We pray that however we've come here today, Lord, with whatever burdens, whatever distractions, whatever things going on in our life, we pray for the next little bit that you would give us the grace to hear your word and to hear from the living God and to hear with clarity. And we pray, God, for that, um, for your, your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. What are the non-negotiables in your household? What are the family rules that you have in your household that are non-negotiable? We all have them. All of us have them, whether they're spoken or unspoken. And it doesn't matter what our families are. You might have, or what our households are, you might have the rule, you got to rinse before you put into the dishwasher. That might be an unspoken rule in your household that's non-negotiable. You might have, pick up your towels. You might have, uh, make sure the dog doesn't eat through anything outside. We all have them, right? Um, For me, growing up, uh, I grew up in a household, uh, I have three older brothers. And the non-negotiable rule in our household was you have to wear a t-shirt to dinner. Now, I know that might not seem like a big deal to you. You know, you might never have tried to eat dinner without a shirt on in your life, but in our household, this was a big deal. I don't remember a day where mum didn't tell one of us, go and put a shirt on before you eat dinner. That was the rule in our household. No shirt, no dinner. Now, uh, we, I am no longer living at home, and Elizabeth, my wife, and I are trying to figure out what the non-negotiables are in our household with our two-year-old daughter, Poppy. So we have a few around the dinner table. Uh, you know, some of them are unspoken, some are spoken. We try and leave our phones, uh, no phones at the dinner table. That's a rule for us. Um, try and eat together. That's kind of trying to be a rule for us. And then we're trying to do this short devotion at dinner time as well. Just reading the Bible for, it's like a kid's 30-second 
devotion kind of thing, but we're having some teething issues figuring this out. Poppy's only two. So uh, the other day, uh, we are eating together. We all sit up together, and then I, I start reading this devotion, and it got to this point where there was this one sentence, and I'm not blaming the devotion. I'm happy to own this, but I didn't understand it. And, you know, maybe I was just tired from the day, but I read it over and over and over again, probably eight times. You know, one of those, you, you slow down and you're like, hang on, that doesn't make any sense. I, I you know, I, I spent a moment wrestling with it. And then finally, I, I got it after a little while. I, I, I finally understood what it was trying to say. And I looked up and I said, that's it. That's what it's trying to say. And when I looked up, well, Elizabeth was still there. Thank, thank God for that. By this stage, Poppy had run outside and was playing with the rocks and singing outside. Now, I don't know how that happened. Like, I, a moment ago, she was there. Now, she's not. And now, we've got to go back to the drawing board for our family rules. What's going to be the non-negotiables around our household? Now, don't stress. I'm not too worried about that. She's two. But, you know, we do have to think through what are the family rules in our household. Now, we've all got them, right? Whether you remember them from growing up or you've got some unspoken ones in your household at the moment, but everyone's got them, and you've got to figure out what happens when they're broken. Now, the reason we start like this today is because throughout the Bible, um, the, the Bible says that if you follow Jesus, you're a part of the family. And so the, the thing that we want to think about today is kind of how does the family operate, particularly when it comes to family rules. Now, even if you're not here, to, even if you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure if I am in the family or not, it's okay. You'll, hopefully, there's some things in this passage for you to um, glean and learn and all that sort of stuff. And we're glad that you're here. But today, we, we do have to think about this as, as a family. We've got to kind of think about what does it mean to, to think through family rules. And so we're going to look at a couple of big questions. We're going to look at the question, okay, what do you do when the family rules are broken? What do you do when they're serious family rules are broken? And then we're going to think about two other questions. What about the, the, the outside? So what do we do when the family rules are broken outside of the family? What do we do in that scenario? And then we're also going to think through what about the gray area? of kind of our cultural moment, and we're going to call that, what do we do with the extended family? That's what we're going to look at today, okay? So, so this is where we're going. We're going to think about this, and the first thing we're going to see is that we enter into a real time and place in a church where they've got some stuff going on. They've got some problems. So let's pick it up, and let's see how this family in Corinth are going. It says there, in chapter 5, verse 1, we pick it up there. It says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate, a man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. So what do we do when there's problems in the family? Well, well, here is some problems, okay? There is some issues in the church in Corinth. That much is clear. Um, and the problem is that sexual immorality has come into the church. Now, uh, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the word for sexual immorality there is actually porneia, which is where we get the word porn from today. However, porneia in the Bible captures more than just porn. It's basically anything outside of God's design in marriage. Okay, that, that's basically anything outside of God's design between one man and one woman. That's what, what is described as sexual immorality. And the problem is sexual immorality has come into the church. And, and it's crept into the church. And, and it seems like the church don't care about that. Right now, there's also the assumption that they know if you're going to be a part of the family, that one of the family rules is you, you don't pursue sexual immorality, you leave that behind, but it's crept into the church. And the particular issue in Corinth is that a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, it's probably his stepmom, to be fair, that doesn't make it any better. I'm not sure if it's technically incest, 
But regardless, it's a problem. And it's pretty grim. In fact, he says here, even the pagans don't, uh, don't kind of live like this. He's basically saying even those outside of the church wouldn't get into this type of practice, which is kind of interesting today when you think about it. I mean, in Australia, right, almost any sexuality is celebrated and goes, but even without, without really a moral framework, even incest is a line that in our culture you wouldn't cross. That's almost what he's saying here. He's saying, guys, in the church you're doing things that people outside the church wouldn't have even done. A man is sleeping with his wife, with his father's wife, and, and you're proud about it. So, so there's a problem in the family. There's a problem. The family rules have been broken. And, and it, there's something here too. It's worth noting. There's a sense here that the man is unremorseful, unrepentant. There's a sense here that it's public. Everyone in the church knows about it. They're proud about this. So, so essentially what you see in the church in Corinth, there's a, there's a problem in the church. There's a problem with this issue and no one cares about it. Okay, so, so when a problem comes into the church, here's the question, how do they deal with it? How does the family deal with it when serious problems come into the church? Well, let's have a read. Let's keep looking, because this is what, what Paul is going to address. And basically, you could sum it up like this. The church is meant to deal with it in a way where they take the sin seriously because they take Jesus seriously. That's what we're going to see from verse 2. Have a look. He says, And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with old, unleavened, uh, not, not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So how does the church, how does the family deal with it when serious family rules are broken? Well, he says there... You are to put this man out of fellowship. Now, when it says there, hand this man over to Satan in verse 5, what he's saying there is this idea of you're actually saying to this person, stop coming to church. The, the world that we're sort of told is, is Satan's domain. So stop them coming to church, hand them over to Satan in the hope that they'll realize what they've done. They'll wake up to themselves and, and kind of come back to the family realizing what they've done. Now, there is a lot going on here, but we, and we do have to unpack it a little bit. And, and it's sort of jarring a little bit, I think, right? Like there, there is a sense here that this is a little bit jarring because we live our whole lives wanting people to come to church, right? So, so it feels weird that the Bible would say, hey, there is a moment where you tell people not to come to church, so, so I get that it's a little bit jarring, and there is a little bit to unpack here. So how do we understand this? Well, let's go back to thinking about this illustration, okay? So uh, let's go back to thinking about the family rules in our household. So when Poppy got up from our dinner table and went outside and played with rocks, I want to be really clear, the, the reaction from Elizabeth and I was not to kick her out of our home, okay? The reaction in families... Uh, needs to match the action. The discipline needs to match the action. So in that moment, to be honest, we, we didn't even discipline Poppy because I was grateful that she sat up for two minutes. You know, that's the kind of level of 
world that I think she's at, you know? So, so there's no need for us to discipline there. But, but I suppose in, in life, as kids get older, you've got to kind of think about this. And the older that they get, the, difference, the, the different things you've got to do and the reactions change. And I guess there is a point where you would say there, there comes a moment where you might have to have a conversation about leaving the home. Now, it's difficult for me to picture this. You know, Poppy's very sweet. So it's hard for, for me to picture this. And maybe for you, it's hard to picture that as well. But I guess if you had a 25-year-old son or daughter that spat in your face every time you came home and said, where's dinner? I guess if they were beating up the other siblings in the home, like, the, like, there is a world there where you would have to have a chat about living arrangements. You know, we, we actually understand that extreme actions do require extreme reactions at certain points. And so this is essentially what's going on in the church and in the family. What he's talking about here is not for a little thing. You know, like, it's, there's not this sense in the Bible that God's people are meant to be perfect, and the church is meant to be perfect. No, we are a community of grace because we are a people of failures, essentially, who are growing from one degree to the next. So it's not like you've got to be perfect, and if you're not perfect, we're going to have a chat about, you know, attending church. No, this is for an extreme action. And we see the extreme action. The reaction matches the extreme action. And the discipline when serious family rules are broken, the lever that the church is to pull is... We're going to have to have a chat about living arrangements. Put this man out of the fellowship for the sake of, for the hope that he can realize what he's done. Now, now three things to make abundantly clear here, because it's really important that we grasp this. Three things to make clear on the next slide. Number one, uh, this is for those people who trust in Jesus' death. Okay, so that's important to note. In verse 7, you see that where he talks about Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. So, this is for people who get the cross of Jesus. And that's important to note because when you get the cross of Jesus, the implication of that is you realize sin is serious. You can't look at the cross and not realize sin is serious. If sin wasn't serious, Jesus wouldn't have died for you. So, so if you see the cross and believe in the cross and trust in the cross, well, this is for those who get the cross of Jesus. Number two. This is for those inside the family. In verse 11, he will call them brothers and sisters. So, so this is for those people who have put their trust in Jesus, who want to sit at the table and be in the family, and, and are sort of saying, you know what, I do trust in Jesus, and I am a part of the family, but they're unrepentant and unremorseful. Okay, so that's the second thing. It is for those in the family. And then number three, this is for the sake of care and restoration. You know, th this is not just, let's kick them out of the family home because we want to free up a room. You know, th this is not the idea here. It's not kick them out so we have more seats on a Sunday. No, this is for the sake of care and restoration. The hope is that when you put them out of fellowship, that they wake up to themselves and realize what they've done and come back repentant of their sin. That's what this is for. So those things very clearly to put to make clear when we're talking about this. Now, um, at Southside over the years, I've been here nearly 14 years now. Uh, I don't think we've done this that many times. You know, the, the, the amount that we've pulled this lever, I reckon maybe once. You know, we've had some conversations that didn't land there that maybe could have, but this is not something that happens all the time. And it's not something that happens all the time in the Bible either. You know, the, 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 for the Corinth church, yeah, there's, there's this 
But for lots of other letters, this is not something that they talk about. So this is not something that happens all the time. This is just for serious problems when serious family rules are broken. There is a level, there is a reaction that matches the action. Okay, so, so the questions we began with, what happens when, when the family rules are broken? How do you deal with the family rules? Well, there is a moment when church discipline requires to put them out of the fellowship. Now, this is where we need to start thinking about this. What about for those outside of the family? Okay, so that makes sense kind of in the family, but what about when the family rules are broken outside of the family home? You could put it like that. What about for those outsiders? Now, this is an important question to ask in the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. I think we're all aware of that. Um, There's a blogger who, you know, if you've ever wondered what cultural moments are going and you wondered how do you think about that, there's a blogger called Stephen McAlpine who's written quite a good book uh, on some of this sort of stuff, and he calls the age that we're in the sexular age. Now, he's playing off secular. It's a little bit of a pun, but I think what it does is it makes you realize what age that we're in, and I think he's right. When you think about it, sexuality is everywhere. You know, it is the God of our age. So how do we operate? How do we understand this how do we live as a family and, and, and deal with family rules when the family rules are broken outside of the family home? Like in the culture that we live in, what do we do in that scenario? Do we, do we get online and, and argue about it? Do we placard about it? Do we, what do we do with that? Do we get angry about it? How do we deal with it when outside the home the family rules are broken? Well, let's have a look, because this is actually where Paul goes. And it's worth really slowing down on this and reading it for yourselves, because I remember the first time I read this, it hit me like a ton of bricks. How does Paul deal with it? Let's have a look. Chapter 5, verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, in that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. How do we deal with it when the family rules are broken outside the home? What does Paul say? He says for those outside the family home, associate with them, care for them, and don't judge them. Now, I I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, Has this always been in the Bible? Like, is this this really how Christians are meant to act? Because it's not how I had acted. And it's not how circles of Christianity that I was in had acted. No, I had acted the opposite of this. Don't associate and judge them. But that's not what Paul says here. He says, no, you've got to keep associating. If you were to not associate them, you'd have to leave this world. Don't judge them. It's none of my business to judge them. 
So what he's speaking about here is those outside the family home. So inside the family home, what do we do? Inside the family, we take our sin seriously. We take Jesus seriously. But outside the family home, it's none of my business to judge them. And yet I still got to associate with them. Now, what's fascinating, I think, about Paul's words here is this is actually the model of Christianity right throughout the Bible. So if you think of Israel in the Old Testament, they were always meant to take following God seriously in a world that didn't. You know, there were Philistines, there were all sorts of other nations around them, and yet they were meant to take their own faith seriously. The problems that they had in the Old Testament were not with the other nations per se, it was the fact that they didn't take God seriously. Then they go into exile, and where are they in exile? They're in Babylon. Yet in Babylon, literally a nation that is like the anti-nation of God in Babylon, they still had to take following God seriously. Then we get to the New Testament, and what we find in the New Testament is that we're called strangers in this world. 1 Peter does this in chapter 1. He says, you're strangers and exiles in this world. So there's a sense that the world is not the family. The world is Babylon. We are strangers in the world, exiles in the world. And so there's a sense here that we must as the family, take our own sin seriously and Jesus seriously, but outside of the family home, we've got to associate with them, but we can't judge them. That's, it's pretty profound what he's saying here. And part of us wants to go, well, the context. Maybe Corinth wasn't as bad as the, you know, Brisbane and where we find ourselves. But the problem with that is, Corinth, we heard in the beginning, uh, last uh, term, when we started this series, we heard Corinth was kind of the ancient world of Las Vegas. That was almost what they were like. If you were to put them somewhere, they were all about sex and ambition and money and fame. They were all about that. Temple prostitutes were everywhere. This is Corinth, and yet Paul says this of Corinth. Corinth are similar levels to Brisbane. It's not that different. And yet this is what he says. He says, inside the family, take our sins seriously, take Jesus seriously, but outside the family, we care, we associate, but we don't judge them. Now, I think we've got to think about this a little bit practically. Because th- there is a, a really tight connection between associating with people and judging them. You know, uh, we might not say that we wouldn't associate with a certain person, but when we judge them, we're making that decision. Do you know what I mean with that? Like if we judge people... We can't expect them to hang out with us. No one wants to hang out with someone that's judgmental. So we've got to think about this. You know, you've got to think about this today. Like, who is it? Who are the people groups that you would find most difficult to be sitting next to this morning? Because we all have people in our mind that we struggle to judge. I mean, you think about it. Would it be someone dressed differently to you? Someone with a different sexuality to you? A different gender to you? A different ethnicity, a different socioeconomic background. We all have people that we would struggle to sit next to. But what happens is if we judge them and then make that judgment clear, we are separating ourselves from the world. So, for example, if it came to sexuality, if we judged a certain sexuality and made that known or made derogatory jokes about that sexuality, we are basically saying we're not going to associate with that people group. That's what happens. You're leaving them no choice. Or it might be not sexuality. It might be something else. It might be gender. It might be ethnicity. It might be socioeconomic background. But if we have a judgment on them and we make that clear, what we are basically saying in that moment is we don't want to associate with them. But what does Paul say? He says, when the family rules are broken, where do we focus? Where do we put our energy inside the family? 
We take our sins seriously. We take Jesus seriously. But outside the family, we associate, we care, we don't judge them. So you get the picture here. When the family rules are broken, inside the family, outside the family. Now, one more question we've got to ask this morning. What about the gray area? What about the extended family? Now, I know that's kind of, we're playing with words here, but here's what I mean by this. The part of our world that kind of looks like family, but might not be family. So, so here's the black and white nature of things, right? So we've got family. We've got the attitude, take sin seriously, take Jesus seriously. Then we've got not family. We could call that culture or our world. The attitude is we care for them, we associate with them, we don't judge them. Okay, that's the, that's the nature, the black and white nature of what we've seen here. But what we have is we have this big in-between section that we're going to call the gray area, the extended family. Now, how we got here is, 100 years ago, Australia was a Christian nation. Um, 99% of people said they were Christians. And so in our culture right now, we have these moments, these pockets that are the remnants of being a Christian nation. However, today we are not a Christian nation. The majority of people in the last sentence said that, that they were not Christian. So what we've got is this gray area of things that existed in the Christian nation that maybe made sense, but now it's, it's not a Christian nation, so it's a little bit blurry. Okay, so we can uh, put this on the screen here. Here is the gray area, the extended family we're calling them. And what you've got in that is you've got sp- things like Christian schools, You've got things like RI or religious education, Christian sport even. You know, you think about even things like prayer in parliament and putting your hand on the Bible in a courtroom. We're calling this the extended family. It's the gray area. Now, now what we've got to think through is we've got to think about the kind of the question, how do we deal with the gray area and where do the family rules apply to the gray area? That's kind of the question that we've got to think through for a moment. Now, let's just focus in on Christian schools for a moment because... It's been in the news for the last little bit from the Presbyterian Church of Australia. Now, if you've missed this in the last couple of weeks, the media report was that the Presbyterian Church of Australia was basically saying that leaders in the church couldn't have a different sexuality um, than what God says within the family. So, um, specifically, the media report was acting on homosexuality or sex outside of marriage. That was the media report. Okay, lots of news stories, lots of, uh, lots of things online around that. Now, the actual story of that was that the Presbyterian Church of Australia um, was trying to seek out where the discrimination line was. So that, that was actually where they had that. They had a four-page report. This was just a line or two in that about that specific issue. The other reality of this is the Presbyterian Church of Australia is only a board that can give recommendations to the Presbyterian Church of Australia's schools. So they can't, the, the church can't actually tell the schools what to do. So that's also another complication in that. However, I'm not sure if it really matters what the intent of the church was. The impact on that was a massive outcry because what it appears is, once again, the church is trying to apply family rules to those outside the family. Okay, that, that is basically what the media report was this week. Now, let's have a think about this, okay? So, first question I want to ask is, where do Christian schools fit into the gray area? Okay? Where do they fit into the gray area? So, you might have a Christian school. You might go to a Christian school or be a teacher at one, or maybe you did, that exists more closely to the family end, okay? Maybe you got one that's more close to the family end. So, you could say Christian ethics, Christian teachers, Christian values, and they fit more closely to the family end. 
However, let's be clear today, even if it's close to the family end, there is still a separation between family and Christian schools. Because Christian schools can't, you know, say that only Christians can come to that school. And it's not set up as a church. It's set up as a school. The main aim is to educate children. So even if it's close to family, it's still not family. But then what you get is you get schools that are further and further away from family. Okay, so let's think of some of the Presbyterian Church of Australia's schools. Now, I don't know all of them, so, and I don't know the details of all of them, so I'm not going to judge each and every circumstance that they all have. But it's clear, I think, in some ways, how the story started. So maybe it was out of the family. You know, the Prezi Church decided, hey, 100 years ago, whatever, it's a good idea, let's start some schools. And maybe it began for the family. You know, let's educate our own kids, and let's have our family teachers, and let's have family values. But what happened over time was it slowly drifted away from family. You know, um, non-family attended and non-family started teaching and then the values and all that sort of stuff went down the line and then, of course, the board was pushed out further and further and it became further to the not-family side. You can pretty much have a Christian school that fits anywhere, I think, along that scale. Now, the other complication that we have to recognize when it comes to this particular issue is that the government funds our Christian schools. So the government is not family, right? The government is not family, and yet they're putting money into Christian schools. So that just complicates it. Okay, so where you put Christian schools in the gray area might be somewhere you know, along that, depending on your experience, your school, whatever else. So if the Christian schools fit somewhere along the gray area, then here's the question. Where do family rules apply? Where do family rules apply to Christian schools? Now, I think in a world of religious freedom, you can argue that for a school closer to the family side of things, with family values and family teachers and family ethics, you could argue that you want leaders who are in the family. I think that right now in our culture exists a world where that's an okay place to be. It might not be forever. Um, in six months' time, they're reviewing all this sort of stuff in terms of the government as well. It might not be forever, but right now you could say that. You know, in, same way, in the same way, it's sort of like uh, we were having a chat this week about this sort of stuff, and it's, you know, almost like could a Muslim school have a Muslim leader? And in the religious freedoms that we have in the world, you can at the moment have that. So maybe you might say, well, family rules could apply in some ways like that. But what about for the schools that get further and further away from family? Do family rules still apply in that instance? Well, depending on the context and the cultural moment of what's going on there, I think whoever's making the decision needs to walk with wisdom. And more than that, and I know you'd like, maybe you'd like me to give you an answer to this this morning, but I think that regardless of where we fit in that, what I think we have to grasp is the principle here. And the principle, I think, is this. The further away from family you get, the more unhelpful and damaging applying family rules becomes. I think that is actually the principle that kind of Paul is speaking about here. So in family, yes, take sin seriously, take Jesus seriously. But the further we get away from family, the more damaging it gets to apply the family rules to the people outside of the family. Now, how is it damaging? How does it damage what's going on? Well, let me again give you the example of this, the illustration of this. Okay, so in my house growing up, as I said before, the rule was no shirt, no food. That was the rule in our household. Now, let's pretend one Sunday afternoon, Anzac Day weekend, I go down to the beach. 
five o'clock at the beach on a Sunday afternoon, no one's wearing a shirt because that's what happens at the beach. Now, what happens if I go down to the beach and I start telling people, hey, guys, you got to put a shirt on to eat dinner at the table. And one by one, I talk to them. You've got to put a shirt on to put dinner at the table. And then I get louder and louder and angrier and angrier. Guys, do you not understand this? If you don't have a shirt on, you can't eat dinner. Put a shirt on. You've got, to have, you know, you've got to have a shirt on to eat dinner. And I'm going around. And then a couple of people who are the shirt people at the beach are like, hey, I like what this guy's saying. And they get in on it as well. And they're starting to say, put a shirt on. If you don't put a shirt on, you can't eat dinner. Now, in that environment, there are two big implications of what happens. Number one, people think I'm crazy. But, it, you know, we all got a little bit of crazy, right? So I'm not really worried about being crazy. But the problem with being crazy, if you're misunderstood, is they don't understand what I'm saying. I may as well be saying anything at that point, speaking in another language at that point. It doesn't make sense. But number two, the bigger problem with doing that is it damages what it means to be in my family, right? So to be very clear about this, people begin to think that, hang on, man, to be in that guy's family means you've got to wear a shirt to sit at the dinner table. And that's the shirt family. And they're all about wearing a shirt at the dinner table. And they reduce being a part of my family down to the rule that you've got to wear a shirt to eat dinner. But again, to be very clear, that wasn't even close to what it meant to be a part of my family. Like, if you ask me, what does it mean to be a part of my family? It meant love. It meant security. It meant safety. It meant that I could fail and I had a safe place to land. It meant that even if I stuffed up, I knew they were still there with me. Those things is what it meant for me to be a part of the family. And the wearing a shirt at the table was the small response that I would make to all that it meant to be a part of a family. Now, what happens when we reduce being a part of the family down to family rules, what we're saying is sitting at this table is all about the rule. But it's not even close to what sitting at the table means. Do you see? Sitting at the table means we know we're loved by God. We know that Jesus died on the cross we know that he was raised to life. We have a hope beyond this grave. Well, what um, Claire and Jenny were talking about before, we have peace and calmness. What Marcus was talking about before, we have assurance of knowing that this is true. All of these things is what it means to sit at the table. And yes, of course, there are family rules, but those come after we grasp what it means to sit at the table. We cannot afford to reduce Christianity down to rules. Because people think that's just what it means to sit at the table. Now, if you exist in the gray area, you've got to wrestle with this principle. You've got to see this. Now, for the time being, maybe you think family rules. Maybe that's okay in the, in the space that you're in. I think we have to be aware as a society that we are moving further and further away from Christian society. I mean, we are actually a post-Christian society. I think the gray area is getting smaller. So you've got to wrestle with this principle and think about what it means. But at the very least, what we see here is we take family seriously, we take sin seriously, and Jesus seriously. And for outsiders, we care, we associate, and we don't judge. So as we think about family rules, here's what we see. 
This is what we see in this passage, right? This is the principle that we see and the wisdom that we see. Now, over the next little bit in, in this series in Corinthians, we're going to be exploring some of the stuff. What does it mean to be a part of the family? It should be a really good, exper- a good experience for us. It should be a really great series. We'd love to invite you to join us. We'd love to invite you to join us in growth groups as well as we wrestle with this. I think this will be a really important moment for us as a church to actually stop and consider some of this stuff. And not just to consider what do I think based on what Christians have told me, but What does the Bible say? And how does that fit in with my understanding? It will be a great series. And we want to help, we want to invite you to that as we think about what does it mean to be a part of the family. But today, as we finish up, as we think about all this sort of stuff, we want to finish like this today. If you're here this morning and you're not a part of the family, if you're here and you're not sure about Jesus, maybe you've got questions, maybe you're on a journey, um, we love having you here at church. Every week at our church, we have people who would say that they're not sure about Jesus. And today, we want to make it really clear that the invitation that the living God is giving you is an invitation to the table. And that invitation is grounded in the love of Jesus, that he loves you and that he died for you and that there is life beyond the grave. And that knowing Jesus is knowing peace and calmness and security. And realizing this is so simple, it's so beautiful. All we've got to do is trust in Jesus. Now, of course... We know there is a response to this. There is ways to sit at the table, how to flourish in life. Of course there is, but where we begin is with Jesus. So if you're not sure about Jesus here today, we hope that you leave knowing that truth. But if today you are sure about Jesus, if you call yourself a part of the family, then what we need to leave with today is two things. Number one, we need to take our sin seriously. We need to take our own sin seriously. We need to look ourselves in the mirror deep in our own hearts and take our own sin seriously. And we need to do that because we take Jesus seriously. Because when we look to the cross, we see a Savior who died for our sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... um, We thank you so much for Jesus, our Passover lamb, who died as the sacrifice for us. God, we pray that as we consider what this means for us today, we pray that we would begin to see that the beauty of the hope that we have lies in all that Jesus has done. Father, we we pray for help and wisdom as we respond to that. And we pray particularly for help and wisdom as we navigate the world that we're in. Help us, Father, to live in such a way that we we do take our own sin seriously and we take Jesus seriously. And we pray this, that we look first and foremost inside our hearts. But we pray too, Lord, that you'd give us wisdom and guidance on how we live outside of the family home. And we pray that you would help us to, to help people see the beauty of Jesus and all that it means to know that we're loved unconditionally. Help us navigate the gray, Lord, as we live in this cultural moment. Help us figure that out. And we pray for specific wisdom as things change and move and pivot over time. Help us to do this for your glory and the good of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.